Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. How are you doing, Taylor? Oh, it's another beautiful Sunday morning. Todd, I'm down here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it's like we, we're the morning drive team. It's like, how you doing? Like, oh, it's a beautiful day in sunny San Diego, Todd. Well, did we do, uh, was our last episode the beer and wine episode? Was that what happened? Yep. I think it was. We ended up yep. recording at night. Yeah, okay. It was our so late night, our late night edition. Right. <laughs> After hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today, we're actually recording in the morning. Are you yep. drinking a coffee? I am. Uh, and actually, this is kind of a bittersweet uh, cup of coffee. It is the last of the Agia Sophia blend. Which is, um, there's this little coffee shop uh, near Manitou Springs where I am uh, in the little part of town called Old Colorado City. And it was this beautiful, it's still, the building's still there, but it's this beautiful old historic building that used to be, I think, City Hall at one point. But there was this coffee shop that's been there long before I even moved to town called Aja Sophia. And it, you know, it has kind of like a Christian bookstore bent to it, but they never, it, that was never like thrown in your face. It was just kind of there if you wanted it to be there, but otherwise it was just this really cool, um, great place to hang out, do work, get, you know, creative stuff done. Um, and they had some really good food too. That's some of the best paninis I've ever had. Anyway, they decided about a month ago that after all this time, they just didn't have the energy or, or commitment to do it anymore. Cause I think they were running it as a nonprofit oh, or man. at least a volunteer, a lot of volunteer basis stuff. So, they decided to wind it down, sadly, and uh, uh, we had some beans left. They had this, their custom blend, which was really, really good, and so we have a little of that left, but it's basically, it's almost gone now, so this is the last the last of it. I figured it was a special day. Let's get some special coffee, but it's really good. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of mid-color, mid, uh, you know, not quite dark, not quite light, um, really good character. And uh, it's actually, I've, I put it in everything. I put it in French press. I put it in AeroPress. I put it in an espresso machine. It kind of feels pretty versatile. So you, you described all the color and mids and stuff in a way <laughs> like that. I can't relate to coffee at all. So what <laughs> is, it like, is it bitter? Is it fruity? Is it uh, a medium uh, roast? Is it a dark roast? <laughs> it's medium. Really it's know. medium and a little, I would say it's medium and a little fruity. It's definitely not bitter. Um, just has a nice bright kind of flavor uh character i guess if you want to be all snooty about it um yeah it's 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 good i mean i put it in a in an aeropress so that usually enhances it even more oh okay have you ever heard of putting eggshells in your coffee god no what (laughs) what this is crazy um uh, where did where did i hear this when i was uh, visiting my parents the other week uh uh, something came up about that and we were like well that's that's a crazy thing and we googled it and uh, if you put eggshells in the ground, you know, before brewing it, mm-hmm. um, it will actually like cut the bitterness, I guess, a little bit. What? Isn't that now, nice? now, do you risk infecting your coffee with like salmonella oh, or anything like uh, that? Wa- wash the eggs, uh, the eggshells. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, there was a, uh, we, we followed, I mean, we didn't do it, but we followed a, a little instruction thing on, you know, uh, how you wash the shell and then how you crush it in your hand and drop it in the grounds and whatever. Yeah. Very interesting. Very cool. What are you up to? What are you drinking? So I'm drinking, uh, I, I got some Pete's coffee. Do you have Pete's? Is yeah, it? we have yeah. a Pete's here and there. I, I think they're a California base, like Northern California maybe, but, um, uh, anyway, I've got some Pete's, uh, big bang, which is a medium roast. Um, it tells me that it is a vibrant blast of tropical fruit, <laughs> a smooth, medium style. I, I don't detect that tropical fruit at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it just tastes like, like a... coffee. Um, 
I was a little, you know, I mean, my experiment is always like, how do I make this into an iced coffee? Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this is my first, uh, several cups of it. You know, I just, I just did this yesterday. And so, um, uh, it's, it's good. It's a good cup of coffee. It's not exactly like what I expect from an iced coffee, but I haven't, I haven't figured out my recipe yet, but yeah, it's good. This is like, if I drank hot coffee, this is probably a good coffee. I see. Right. <laughs> probably just screwed it up by throwing ice in it. <laughs> yeah. But at some point you like, and I'm not, I just, I'm not an iced coffee fan at all. Like even, you know, the Starbucks pudding drinks that are essentially just like, you know, sugar and pudding and milk and you know, a little caffeine too. Like even those, I'm just like, something seems, something seems wrong about it. So I'm kind of fascinated to see you getting more adept at making iced coffee and kind of what goes into that. Cause it's just like, at some point maybe I'll acclimate, but I'm just not, I'm just not. No, I, I get that. Um, and speaking of that, is there even a Starbucks in the Denver airport, by the way? I think I was stymied once again last week when I was there. Is there? I was looking looking for my pudding drink. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's a a caribou. uh, There's a caribou. I think uh, there's a coffee bean or a Pete's, one of those. And and when we're talking about caribou, I mean, yuck. Like, that's just move along. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry if anybody who likes caribou, but no. Oh, well, I I hadn't tried it. Um, it. but no, I think I, there might be. Uh, yeah, there's got to be a Starbucks there somewhere. I know there's a couple like little indie, no, like you know, no name shops just sort of popped up too. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Starbucks uh, can't crack that nut. I don't know. I figured that the Denver uh, Coffee Mafia had like a lock on it or something. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So what we do on this show is uh, Taylor and I each pick. Um, well, we pick a coffee, but then we also pick one uh, comic book, usually a graphic novel. And we've read it and then we just discuss it. We all know what we picked, what the other one has picked before this happens. So um, it gives us a little bit of excitement, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and anticipation. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that said, Todd, what is your pick? Well, I'm so glad you asked because uh, I, I, although I did not do what you do, which is like text you, you text me a couple of days ahead, like, oh, this, <laughs> this week's pick <laughs> is going to blow your mind. Get y'all wound uh, up. But, you will definitely appreciate this. Uh, I read uh, Terms and Conditions by R. Sikoriak. Oh, nice. Yes, which was a, a gift to me from you. So um, I, I thought you, you would enjoy a discussion of it. And for the uh, record, not one you had before, right? Definitely not one I had before. I was I, so I, paranoid about that because I, I grabbed it off of Drawn and Quarterly's big sale they had last fall or last, you know, for, for Christmas, basically. I grabbed a bunch of stuff, but I grabbed that and I'm thinking and I, it, it showed up and I was like, I was putting in the box to you. I'm like, man, does he have this? I, I just had this vivid image in my mind of you holding it or reading <laughs> it or talking about it at some point in the past. And maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was when we were visiting a shop that you, you saw it or something. I don't know. And, and I, of course, we had, we had coordinated on that Black Friday drawn and quarterly sale, but we didn't tell each other what we were getting. And yeah. I... I had scrolled past. It was one of those that like kind of lingered in my, you know, I should put this in my cart. Should I not? Cause you know, of course I, well, the first thing I did was add like 12 different books to my cart and then I yeah, had to go yeah. weed out like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get to that. Um, and I, I try, I tried to make the sale count for the big hardcover stuff. That was yeah, the way I yeah. went into it. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you have not heard of this and here's the other thing. Um, well, let me describe the book first. So, uh, it is the Apple iTunes terms and conditions uh, literally are the text. <laughs> that is all the dialogue bubbles, all the, 
um, what you, you know, scene directions, all the descriptive panels that it, they are verbatim, the Apple iTunes terms and conditions uh, in order, <laughs> not remixed into a way that would make sense in conversations or anything like that, just straight through. So, <clears throat> um, but what uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Sikoriak, um does is that every single page of this is rendered in the style of another comics artist Mm -hmm. and they are dead on. (laughs) (laughs) And it is, I mean, it is, it is just a trip to read this. It is so weird. And even read is, is probably not the right (laughs) word for it because um, much like the actual, you know, printed terms and conditions, your eye just starts to kind of blur with the words. Like Mm -hmm. it's, Mm it, so in that way, it's almost like he chose a very contemporary lorem ipsum. Mm. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. To show, uh, to show off sort of a, a trip through comics history. You with know? Steve Jobs as your guide, by the way. Right, which is... Well, so that's the other dimension of it that's so strange, is that Steve Jobs is prominent in, in everything. So it's, it's like Steve Jobs is telling you or the characters in the stories... Uh, the terms and conditions, that, mm-hmm. that, but it's not all strictly his dialogue. You know, as I was saying, it's like some, sometimes there'll be the, in, you know, the, uh, the scene setting or something, you know, we'll have some terms and conditions, um, but it is, uh, but he's in it. So it's not, it's, you know, it's in this just interesting way where it's not a remix exactly. You know, it's not, um, I mean, it was a remix, but it's, Yeah. It's not like I was saying, the words are not repurposed to make a coherent story. The whole story is the terms and conditions. It's not like it's not like there's a narrative and it's like every once in a while they flash to. And oh, by the way, did you know that right. this content is licensed under European law? Like it's just the literal text, which brings to mind one big question. <coughs> and I didn't bother to look at this even before I sent it to you. Did they have to license like do they have to pay Apple a royalty? to basically appropriate that. I mean, because they're not, it's not like it's fair use in terms of, Oh, we're, we're highlighting some of it for, I mean, and you, I guess you can make a case that the whole book is parody, but in most cases, fair use is when like you and I, maybe, maybe we take the words of something to parody it or, or satirize it. Like that's covered under fair use. When you use the entire chunk of that thing and regardless of how creative it is or not, they still, their lawyers still wrote it. I mean, do they get some kind of reciprocal? Does Drawn and Quarterly have to like, and what was the licensing agreement for that, I wonder? That is an interesting question. And it's not something that I, um, uh, so he includes a page of development notes. At the oh, back, nice. Okay. Um, and, ex- and really explains the project, which is it, itself, it, it's just an art project, which I think is, you know, one of the things that you and I love about, about the, the format of the show that we've created that we like doing is that, uh, we're not talking about whatever comics came out this week necessarily, yeah. you know, we're tr- and we're definitely trying to sort of have this huge diverse uh, group of comics and, and books that we will have ended up reviewing and talking about. And this is definitely one of those where, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no story it's pure art and it is, and it, and then it's art at this different level of comics art, you know, where it is a meta uh, commentary on the art through the art and anyway, in these development notes, um, as far as I've like recall, there's nothing about how they legally obtain this. I think it's, I think it's just fair game, honestly, mm-hmm. at that point, because I think he has transformed the terms and conditions into an art project. So yeah. it, uh, 
yeah, I guess, you know, uh, plus, I guess we all agreed to these terms and conditions at some point. So that's true. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, ag- he's agreed to them. <laughs> I guess yeah. he's just reprinting them. Uh, so it, it's like I said, it's not, it's not a book you read exactly. Um, what is, so for me, one, one of the really exciting things for me going through it was playing that game, which I'm sure anyone, you know, who picks this up is going to do, <clears throat> especially cause I don't have a, um, I, I don't have a boy, you know, a, uh, like a, what do you want? I, I'm, I'm, you know, a nerd's grasp. I was trying not to say the word nerd, <laughs> but I'm not, I don't have that like super fanboy thing. You know, I'm not that kind of, uh, I, I love these people, but I'm not that comic store geek that can tell you, you know, wh- the order of artists on the justice league, you know, back mm-hmm. till the silver age or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But I've read enough comics and I've had a long enough history with comics that such an exciting part of this was playing detective. Um, so in addition to how it's rendered in the style of different artists, he is uh, uh, literally reproducing <laughs> pages from comics. And it took me, because I didn't, the notes and the index, he does have a reference index of every page that he's done at the end. Um, and all those are cited, you know, as, as works with their original work. And um so I, I just, did, I, you know, I kind of suspected that was there, but I didn't flip to the back to figure it out. I just approached it like, I'm a new reader. I'm starting with page one. What do I recognize this from? So mm-hmm. I had this like experience of discovery as I flipped every page and I would go, and, and it jumps all over the map. It's from like newspaper cartoons. You know, there will be a Beetle Bailey reference or a family circus reference um, to where there is a just a dead on panel from Wilson that you and I <laughs> talked about a few shows ago. Yeah. And it was in fact, one of the pages we referenced in that show. So when I flipped to that page, I, I it was, you know, it was that instant recognition of, uh, yeah, that's Wilson, you nice. know, in nice. Daniel close style and in Wilson, Daniel close has different styles. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. That's so he's drawn. Books, yeah. <laughs> of all the books that remind me of this one. In fact, I had to numerous times make sure that the, uh, that the creative terms and conditions wasn't Daniel close. Cause I'm like, right. Follows a similar kind of template. Now keep in mind, Wilson doesn't go through every, you know, every sort of version of comics history. It, it, he kind of settles in on like six or seven kind of, right. um, uh, palettes, if you will, of 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 draw, you know, of sort of context or drawing, and then kind of just cycles through those based on what he's showing you. But this seems like does it repeat at all any any sort of like when it does a Snoopy reference, does that come back around again, or when no. it does an X Men reference? <laughs> no, every page is wholly <laughs> original in that sense of like that's amazing. Chosen a page from some historical comic to uh duplicate in its and when you're looking at i'm looking at google images um right now just to refresh myself and i mean the the level of detail in terms of the homage is startling like again he does like a snoopy one that is exactly like charles schultz would have done he does like a really he does like a simpsons one that's exactly like the simpsons look like it's 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 startling that he could capture each of these so perfectly like i almost thought this would have been like, oh, we invited the original artist to come in and redo it in this. Right, in yeah, this I did that same uh, that same sort of uh, take that double take on that. Like, is this you know? Wait, did the did the other artist do this or did he do this? Yeah. Um, I, I and it's and it, it itself is super diverse. I mean, uh, on page 
Now it starts like the actual comic starts on page uh, six. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, two pages later, he does an Astro Boy uh, page. So the uh, a Japanese, um, I want to say that's Tetsuka, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, but he does. So he does a page of that. And so this is at the point when I'm going through, I went in order. And uh, at that point, I knew it was Astro Boy, at least now, of course, I'm second guessing that that I'm saying that in public. But um, uh, and the opposite page is a panel from The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, my God. <laughs> so going from black and white 1950s or 60s Japanese uh, manga to 1980s Frank Miller, who's just in a school of his own art wise, you know, um, and it, it, it continues that way. Like there is an adventure time page. There's a SpongeBob page, you know, so there's super contemporary stuff like that. Um, like you mentioned, there's a Simpsons page. Uh there there's, but then there's like a, my little pony page. That's exactly like it. And then there's, yeah, there's Frank Miller and there's Jack Kirby and there's old um, sort of noir comics and there's like romance comics. And it's, I mean, it, it is a, you know, like, like I said, it is a trip through comics history with this lorem ipsum that we all experience as lorem ipsum we all look at those yeah. terms and conditions and just blur over none of us you know it's it's they look like words with the proper spacing but we don't read them or contemplate their meaning <laughs> and then there's that added element like you said of uh steve jobs appears in every page and sometimes that's really funny because there's a um oh i forgot the comic but it's like it's one of the first couple of pages uh where Steve Jobs, there, this was where I couldn't, I, I, you know, at the beginning of me reading it, I was like, oh, maybe he turns it into a story or something, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's, uh, who, who is this? It was uh, Marge's Little Lulu from 1956. <laughs> and it's it looks very much like a, I, I thought this was like a Nancy and Sluggo thing because it's, so uh -huh. Steve Jobs walks up uh, to a young woman who's holding an apple. Apples, of course, prominently featured through, he, he works those into many, you know, if there's an object that's supposed to be in the panel, he turns it into an apple. So I bet in the original one, this probably wasn't an apple, <laughs> but Steve Jobs walks up to her and starts shouting in her face and she's <laughs> sort of smiling. And then he's rubbing his fingers together. Like he's asking for money and she's still smiling. And then at some point it takes this turn and she gets angry and he's still shouting at her. And then, you know, the last panel is just, she's, she's very angry with him and she's, it's a, she's in a huff, you know, yeah. but it doesn't, <laughs> uh, once you kind of grasp the project that he just took a panel <laughs> yeah, or a whole page from that comic book from 1956. And I bet those pictures and, you know, faces and, uh, you know, body language is exactly the same. Yeah. In the 1956 panels, he just added in the Apple terms and conditions and it makes it so weird. <laughs> well, there's another, I'm, it's interesting you say that there was one that I remembered as I was just thumbing through it. I didn't have the, the luxury of just reading it all before I sent it to you. I, I kind of wanted it to be a, a you experience first, but there was one page and I refound it on Google cause it was so shocking. There's one where it's, it's Steve jobs and wonder woman from like a 1940s kind yep. of you know, kind of Wonder Woman and she's, and he's like, he's, and he's, it's funny. Most of the, most of the panels, like Steve Jobs is like, is like, um, you know, notably angry and just kind of pissed, pissed off the entire time. Like just as he would be in real life, he's got that sort of like look of like, what the heck, you know, just that he doesn't, he's not a happy man in a lot of these panels. So he's grabbing Wonder Woman and she goes to like run out the, the window and he grabs her again, like it, very menacingly. And he jumps on her back 
as she jumps out the window. <laughs> and it's just like, and again, all the while he's like reciting the terms and conditions. You're right, she's right. Like, she's like actually trying to like, you know, help somebody. And he's like, he's like, wait, no. And he's like, you know, shaking her, like trying to tell her it's, it's really, I know something about that particular page made me just go, Oh, I see. I see where, where, what we're doing here. It's, it's, it's ways for him to like weave in Steve jobs and like, really like, it's kind of, it's homaging just him and all his quirks and personality sort of things that we always joke about, but it's, it's kind of like he, he's become immortal through like, you know, by appearing in all of these, these panels over the years, you know? Yeah. But then there's a, and you're right. He definitely, he definitely looks intense or angry um, in a lot of them. And and that's part of that context that uh, Sikoriak chose, you know, Um, because he obviously chose the, specific page that he was going to duplicate and he could probably see like, Oh yeah, that action hero that's in this moment, you know, that's going to be the jobs character. But then there's stuff like in beetle Bailey uh, when he does that page where I don't even remember the character's name in beetle Bailey. I just remember that was a co- a comic strip from the papers, but it's the, it's the sort of chubby, um, you know, Popeye, I think is that chubby character's name was wimpy or something. You know, it's that guy in beetle Bailey is the Steve jobs avatar. Mm. <laughs> so, it's not like the uh, sergeant or anything like that, like the angry one barking orders. It's like the kind, kind of doughy guy that's got glasses. And um, yeah, and there's, uh, and then in like the Josie and the Pussycats page that he does, Steve Jobs has a, a smile on his face. Cause of course, it's like, I don't know if it's Archie or somebody that, that he's standing in for, but it's not always that intense, angry character, you know, and that, I guess that, that context is, uh, that's just what makes it, absurd you know well, he's, he's <laughs> where he chose to put the garfield one too which really makes me laugh like oh my god the garfield one is amazing because <laughs> then garfield is replaced by an imac yes <laughs> Steve Jobs is there like in the john drawing but he's got the turtleneck on and everything i, he's, oh, <laughs> I would so read glib a looking. whole book of the john and garfield one yeah in that style where it's steve and a mac yeah yeah yeah, because, because of course it's. I mean, it's so like the expressions, <laughs> the John expressions are so perfect. And then it's one of those where the last panel was like John just leaves and Garfield's on his own. But of course, <laughs> in this page, the computer's just sitting there on a table alone with like the last line <laughs> of the yeah. script. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, it is. It is bizarre. It is absurd. Um, and Let me it's ask just you really this. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, just in your opinion, is this? Because uh, I, I, I know out there, there's probably some Apple fanboy who's like, "Does this make? Does this make a mockery of what I love? Does this? Do you think this honors and sort of um, is is it made with like love or is it made with like malice? You know, was the guy mm-hmm. like, oh, this we're just gonna I'm gonna lambast everything about Apple because who cares? That is that's a really interesting question because my answer is uh, neither. It's. Oh. Um, that's, you know, one of the questions I wrote down that I wanted, you know, that I thought would make sense to discuss was like, what is the actual commentary here? Mm -hmm. And then I settled on that idea of like, no, he's just chosen a lorem ipsum that we all understand and a figure that like looms so large in all all of our lives. You know I mean? I'm recording this on a MacBook. Um, You know, (laughs) we, we both use Mac and Apple products and uh, everyone does, you know, um, but it, you know, taking that context, it turns into like, uh, this is just the, this is the modern, ah, we, I, 
person avatar that we we recognize you know this is steve jobs taking us through the history of comics but there are so many layers to that and it's interesting because on the the back is a, a bunch of quotes of um you know how clever this is and i mean review quotes and how funny it is and hilarious and i, I didn't really find it hilarious it's because i mean it's so meta in that way <laughs> that it the humor itself is very meta you know it's mm-hmm. very it's sort of a step back from the humor. Like as I'm laughing about the Garfield thing, it's only in repeating the, that concept of that page that is funny, but you can't really make sense of it when you're reading it because it's just John and Garfield uh, (laughs) in these different roles as a computer and Steve jobs yelling lines of the terms and conditions back at each other. (laughs) And so it doesn't make any sense. It's not like he, he put these, you know, made these characters, put them in there and then made it really funny. Um, I think though that for me, I mean, for me, some of the context is like it, it's it's number one acknowledging that here's this legal document that all of us at some point or another in our lives have interfaced with, right? Um, some more than others, and here's the guy who basically made that a reality, trying to. It, I almost kind of think of it like you know, uh, it's like him trying to force us to to. <laughs> To finally yeah. <laughs> acknowledge what this text is, and every time we flip the page or change our minds, like I'm gonna go read this instead. Like he finds a way to intrude into that into that context. It's like I almost imagine, like the non the non graphic novel version of this would be like you and I sitting down watching Netflix, and like we turn on Stranger Things, and Steve Jobs walks into frame and goes, "Did you know?" and starts like talking about the terms and conditions. <laughs> we switch over to House of Cards, and like. Frank Underwood is like giving his like monologue to the audience. And all of a sudden Steve jobs walks in the background just starts talking over him, you yeah. know, or Steve jobs is Frank Underwood. You know, he turns around, you're like, Oh, there is, it's, it's that kind of, it's that kind of not, I don't want to say the word satire or parody. That's not what it is. It's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting though. Cause it's well, like, you're, you're right. It is a, it is a method to, for this particular guy to, to basically flex his muscles and really give us, you know, a lot of different, a different, you know, uh, pieces yeah. of, of history you know well, and and that I, exactly what you're saying i think is the commentary it's not a commentary about you know criticizing apple or praising apple it's just a commentary about how ubiquitous it is yeah and and what a large figure steve jobs is and towards that point um one thing i, I definitely should have mentioned i mentioned like the sort of recurring theme of the apples you know mm-hmm. but um there's and it's funny because i didn't even start looking in the index to to check my history until about halfway through when I just kept getting stumped by them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then after that, I kind of went back and, and, and checked, but I think there's a panel that I did not verify. That's a saga panel. I think. And it's, you know, so there's a bunch of little apples in the background and stuff. <laughs> but one of the other things he does is he brings in the products in the Josie and the Pussycats one. Steve shows up in this sort of happy jughead or Archie sort of way with this big smile on his face. And he's holding an iPad. and there's a dick tracy panel where dick tracy's you know very stern and he's like all his you know he was drawn with his eyes were just sort of flat lines and his mouth is just flat and his chin is flat so he looks very intense and then it there's like one panel shot of his hand where he's probably holding up a a camera or something like that and he's holding up an ipod shuffle (laughs) and (laughs) so there's parts where the devices that you know jobs was responsible for show up 
And that, I guess, too, is that thing of like, this. that's just in our lives. That's, you know, we don't even know, we don't recognize what other objects Dick Tracy would be holding because of yeah. course he would be holding something like this. Or, you know, there'll be a, a superhero panel where the iPhone is like his superpower that's shooting light out of it or something, you know? Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fun in that way. But, um, you, you know, to me, mostly this is a, a history of comics. Um, and uh, it's just, it's like a, it's, it's just such an unbelievable piece to see it all together like this, you know? Well, it's one of those cool things that you and I kind of bond on a lot, which is, yeah, we like the big two. And yeah, we even like um, indie series like, you know, like a saga or East of West or black science. But I, I think you and I both get really jazzed up when somebody takes the opportunity to use this medium to just do something cool and original. Exactly. Like this is yeah. one clearly one of those. Like it's just like, oh my god! Like this, you would almost. I, I kind of use this this um, metaphor a lot, but it's almost like you could walk into a gallery, like in a museum, and this would be an exhibit. Like exactly. just all the pages would be, you know, hanged on the wall somewhere, and you could like walk around. So this is almost like the collected version of that exhibit. Here it is. That's I love that. Well, and you touched on something, or at least you reminded me of something that another thing we talk about a lot is how uh, Wilson, for example, is a perfect perfect specimen of this. Like Wilson uh, clothes changes his style through that mm -hmm. for the purpose of telling the story, yeah. you know? And when you look at terms and conditions that way, it's, it, it's, it's again, sort of mind blowing. I mean, it's like, why is he changing the style? You know, I mean, that's part of that commentary of it doesn't, it's not like he's trying to tell the story of the terms and conditions, mm -hmm. you know, um, why does this panel get represented as a superhero panel? Why is this one like a Sunday newspaper funny? You know, why is this one a 1950s and why is this one a 2000s? It's, um, it's, it's just really intense to start, a, to start considering all these things that went into a, a Sikoriak's head, like to create this thing. So you're right. Yeah. If this were, um, in a gallery, it would, it would be amazing. I mean, I could just see each you know, page framed and on the wall and you're just sort of walking through this. Like, ex in fact, I think that's almost how I would want to experience this is mm. walk, like physically walking into this book, you know, that mm. way. So, mm. um, but the, as a book, it works really well with the index and those developer notes. And so you kind of get to the end and, and realize how you can fact check, you know, if you were like me and trying to <laughs> test your knowledge of all these artists um, or if you just want to see, the, this like myriad of influences that he took. It's, um, it's very cool. It's yeah. Now the, the standard question on this, on this uh, show is we usually try to figure out, is yes. this better in physical or better in digital? Uh, is, would you have consumed this via like uh, comiXology or, or Kindle if you had the chance or do you like the physical yeah. object? I think, I think a lot of times when we, we, we talk about uh, preference when we go through that or something, when we, when we consider the question of digital or physical, this one, I just, I don't even think your preference matters. Like <laughs> if you don't get this physically, <laughs> you, it's not, it's just not the same project. Like this, I don't think will make any sense digitally. Got it. It's uh, be, and like I said, I'd even prefer a more physical experience of, you know, walking into a museum to see this. It is, mm -hmm. um, I, I just, uh, yeah, it, there's no story to swipe through. You don't want to be uh, 
we, we talked about this last week when I, I chose a book that was largely sort of um, like comic strips that mm-hmm. weren't telling a, a, you know, a cohesive narrative. But so that actually works really well in a physical edition where you can just sort of flip to any page and read it. And in digital, you're going to feel that obligation to kind of swipe through in order. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that would be fine. The in order thing doesn't really matter about terms and conditions. You could do that, but I just don't think you're going to get the magnitude of like how impressive this is because you can just, I mean, I, this is what I did the whole time I was reading. It was just flip back and forth through older pages and newer pages and then the index. And you know, that's what you want to do with this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Good coffee table book too. I mean, and that's not to oh. minimize it, but it just seems like one of those that you have you just want sitting out for anybody who comes by to be like, "Oh, this is cool. I love yeah, this." Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I, you know, I'm. Uh, do you know if it is available in any sort of oversized um, hardcover edition? I don't. I, I know don't when either. I got it off of um, Drawn and Quarterly, this was the only option. Okay. Okay. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I I believe you're right. That's what I remember seeing on Drawn and Quarterly. Um, yeah, so I, I, I just was curious. Uh, anyway, I've, I've, I can't believe I even talked that much about it because um, uh, while I really enjoyed it, I, I thought because of its nature, it would just, you know, I, I would describe it and that would kind of be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without further delay, what was your book this week? Well, it's interesting. The, what, the choice I was going to make was going to be very much what you just said. <laughs> like it, it was a choice, and I'll probably do it on a future episode, but it was going to be so kind of uh, – <laughs> disassociative that I'm like, I don't know if I can even get an episode out of this. So instead I chose a book that was very much an art project. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Yours, yours was certainly that this is absolutely that it is a super, super duper indie pick and often cited on lists of the 100 best graphic novels, which is where I kind of encountered it. And it is the book soft city written and drawn by Harriton Pushwagner. And in this case, published by New York Review Books in 2016. Now, this is an interesting, I'll give you some backstory first. Um, it's an interesting piece because uh, Pushwagner is a Norwegian painter, uh, and he's usually inspired by anti-capitalist pop art. He's kind of like that guy. So he's not a, he's not a <laughs> comics creator. He's not like Moebius uh, in that regard. You know, he's, he's basically like just an, a, a you know, painter, you know, like museum artist, first and foremost. So this was very much a, a you know, personal art project, and it um, was written and published between 1969 and 1976. And it was meant to be – it was kind of published in a series of, um, of different uh, uh, like newspaper drawings. And I don't know exactly in how it would – looking at it now, I, I really don't understand how this would have appeared in a newspaper at all. It just seems the, – the way it's executed here seems very – I don't know how you would adapt that in that way, but it's, um, you know, this, it, it came out then or it was published then. And then it was not collected, uh, at all until 2008, which is really interesting because like he got into some messy legal, uh, push Wagner got into some messy legal, uh, snafu with his, um, uh, was it his agent? Hang on here. I wrote this down. <laughs> Uh, bah, 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 bah. Oh, his what? dealer. So he and his dealer had some big, uh, messy legal thing. Apparently, the originals, like his original drawings, disappeared in a suitcase in the early '80s, um, and they didn't reappear again, quote unquote, until 2002. So there was all kinds of like shenanigans going on surrounding <laughs> this. And then when they published it, um, Norwegian publisher No Comprendo was the first to do it in 2008. So it wasn't even published in English until 2016, when um, uh. 
New York Review Books did it for the US. And I don't know if they did the, the UK version too, but it's now finally, finally, finally available. So it was kind of like this thing that was you know, rumored and you know, spoken about in certain circles, like this kind of like legendary, like lost piece of art that's like, oh yeah, you know, we'll never get to see it. And if you were around at the time when it was kind of published in, in piecemeal and newspapers, you you have some conception of it. Um, but it's really, it's really, really interesting. Very, very indie. I'll set, I'll set the stage a little bit first. The art itself is uh, very crudely drawn line art. So the whole thing is black and white uh, drawn you know, line art. And ev- the only color that appears is the traffic lights. You'll see red, green, or blue. Huh. Or sorry, red, green, or yellow. Um, but, but for the most part, it's just line art. And, and, and not, you know, I, I, I look at it now and I'm like, I, I could do this, but what I couldn't do is, is create this kind of Kubrickian symmetry that he's got going on. Like he very, it very much feels like a indie film and less like a graphic novel. It's very much like he's, there's camera movement and there's, even though it's, it's, you know, crudely drawn, there's definitely a, a sense of, of, uh, of style and symmetry. And, and just, it feels like you're watching, um, mock-ups for a really interesting, indie movie just kind of you're, you're going through the um you're going through the storyboard so it's it's interesting in that capacity the whole plot and storyline is uh it's basically the entire thing's basically a, a satire of capitalism and life in a modern city and it kind of goes let me pull up this i had sort of a a nice little summary of this uh, the, the summary I see in the back, it says the, ni- the 154 page strip tells the story of a mechanical everyday life in a demolished dystopian modern city. Here, the people are around like, or move around like robots and they are observed through the child, uh, a child's wandering eyes. So basically it's, it's, um, it's, uh, a day in the life of one of a thousand families in this impersonal, oppressive kind of futuristic military city. And it's, it it's, there's no central character. So it's hard to kind of describe what it is. There's no central character. It, it, the whole thing starts with the, uh, like a, a slow zoom in of this gigantic, um, apartment complex. It just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And all the windows, I mean, there's at least a thousand tiny little windows drawn on this thing. It almost looks like a computer punch card. It just has kind of that monotony and it zooms in, zooms in and you see a baby wake up and that baby is part of this family. And we follow this family through the course of their day. And the, and the day is very, very sort of homogenized, j- uh, just clinical, just that kind of like the urban, urban nightmare of like all, you know, thousands of dudes putting on their hats, going into work, you know, kissing their wives goodbye, getting in their cars, you know, driving on these just jam-packed streets, um, driving into a gigantic uh, parking garage. And, and some, of the, some of the frames and some of the pages are just overwhelming. Like you look at the city and you just see, you know, not, you don't see any sky. You just see windows upon windows upon windows and cars upon cars forever and ever and ever. And you see them go to this work, you know, their, their job and it's this menial job. They all punch their, you know, they punch their um, time cards in. Meanwhile, the mom or the wife, she takes the kid to daycare and it's just this like completely homogenized daycare. And she goes about her day going to the grocery store. And all the while it's, uh, the panels are interspersed with different kinds of, um, just really cliche soul draining marketing messages. So things that they're passing either in the newspaper or watching on TV, or it's a, the back of a box of cereal. Um, the whole thing is just incredibly impersonal. You know, the parents, the mom and dad wake up. And one of the first things they do is they take the pill 
you know, they take a pill and then she's like, did you take your pill, dear? Yes, dear. Did you take your pill? Yes, dear. You're just very, uh, you know, time to get up, dear. Thank you, dear. And it's just very, it's kind of like what, what the 1950s suburban lifestyle would have wrought in the you know, late, uh, late sixties, early seventies. Now this is where it gets interesting because this was written, you know, during the, during that time. I mean, think about, think about the late, you know, late sixties, early seventies. That's when Monty Python's flying circus was being released when it was being created. So it was that long ago. And this was in Norway, but I, it's what I find is as I'm going through this and I've gone through it a couple of times, it's probably more prescient today than it was then. You think about all the people in China that have to go through these very generic, you know, like they, they got moved off the farm into the city and now their life is basically this endless, endless cycle of, of rinse and repeat and go, you know, with thousands of other people doing exactly the same thing to a lesser extent, but almost just as frightening. You've got the U S economy where a lot of people do, you know, task rabbit jobs, um, and, and just kind of go through the motions. And there's sort of like this, especially with mobile technology, there seems to be this sort of detachment for what life could be. And we've kind of gotten, a lot of people have gotten um, put in these, in these systems of life that they can't get out of. And so it's just, this book almost just drives that point home. Like this is what, when you sort of coast and, and sort of disengage from life, this is what life will be. So it's a really interesting critique on on capitalism and government and systems and, and disengagement and disassociation. You've got this, you know, father and mother who barely, you know, barely say anything to each other other than like, hello, dear, goodbye, dear. Let's watch TV, dear. You know, it's just, just completely informal or rather formal impersonal dialogue. And, the, and there's this baby and the, the baby actually starts and, and ends It bookends the, the story. You see the, the sun coming up and the camera zooms in, you see the baby and then it ends with the baby kind of crying and you're kind of left to wonder is, or is it crying because it's a baby or is it crying because it knows it too will have to one day live and breathe this world, this impersonal world. Like it's, it's life has already been chosen for it. And it, you know, it's sort of, that's very, that's a very sad notion. So the whole thing is, is kind of an incredible art project um, by this guy, by Pushwagner. He's done other, other works since then. But it's really cool to see it finally, you know, to know the story, the backstory of how it, you know, sort of languished for 30 years. And this could have been put out in the early 80s and could have been really transformative. But, it, you know, it, it waited. It, we had to see it in 2008. And then again, eight years later for us to even see it in English. Uh, and there's not much that, that, that's not as necessary. The, 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 the dialogue is pretty, it's pretty generic. So even if it wasn't in English, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't care as much. A lot of, most of the pages are dialogue free. So yeah, it's um, trying to think what else I was going to say about it. Well, it, I, I love that you brought up Monty Python because it definitely has that loose line drawing feel of um, Terry Gilliam's it you know, does. animations yeah. and illustrations from Monty Python. And this yeah. is a really weird reach. But when I was a kid, I had a book of John Lennon's like poetry that had a bunch of his doodles in it. Mm-hmm. And it also looks like that. Like they would just be sort of, you know, pen and ink uh, line drawings and, you know, faceless, but maybe with, you know, where the face doesn't have its character, but it just has sort of here are the eyes and yeah. here's the mouth, you know, and this is, um, and that, that, you know, can look very uh, simple and childish in one context, but in the pages I'm seeing from soft city, it's, it works 
to reemphasize what you're talking about, like this dehumanization of everything, because you're seeing not just one person with an indistinct face, but like a hundred of the yeah, same face yeah. just drawn over and over and over to fill up a page. Are there, uh, is there a story that you want to read sort of start to finish with this? No, I mean, you do want to go start to finish because it is okay. a, a single day in the life of these, of this particular family. It gets, it gets hard to remember that because it just, they, they themselves get washed up in the, the milieu of everybody else. And everybody's life is basically the same as everybody else's. So you, you could almost make the case that, yeah, you start with one family. Maybe you end with another one. It's, you don't even know. Um, you know, you, I, I assume it's the same family start to finish, but you could, you know, when the camera picks back up on one guy or one woman, again, it could be a, totally different guy and woman. And you would just never have any basis for that. I like the, going back to what you said real quick about Terry Gilliam, th- it is very Gilliam esque. You know, I, I, it's almost like he read this before he made the zero theorem. Uh, Cause there's a oh, lot of, I'm not familiar with it all. Yeah. Zero theorem was that Christoph Waltz movie that came out a couple years ago. I think oh. it's, his, I think it's his newest one, if I'm not mistaken, but it's got a lot of that similar kind of just, you know, the, the city of London at in that point had just become this, you know, anthill of just people going about their life, like completely oblivious to the to pain and suffering of one guy or the, or the dreams and machinations of another guy. Like, it's just, it's almost like everything, everything is every bit of, of hope for something better has been completely suppressed and wiped away. You know, there's no, it'd be really interesting to take this work and recreate it and have, you know, one person of, you know, in, in thousands, you know, kind of break through the matrix and try to be more, you know, try to see more. That's, that's what's missing. And it, it's, we don't need it, but it's like, that's the thing that I think other art would do today is, is have the one, you know, the one punk rocker rebelling against the system. And it's there, there isn't that at all. Uh, there's just this like sad kind of just humdrum of everything. One thing I didn't mention is that a lot of this, I mean, most of it's giant, you know, single pages. You know, he, he divides it into panels once in a while, but most of it is just, um, entire splash pages or or um, double pages. So you open it up and you see the symmetry of of every car going home at the end of the day, um, or every car exiting this like you know thousand story parking structure. Um, and then he'll do things like you know it, he'll show you a lot of pictures, but then he'll do things like going home, getting out of the car, going upstairs. So it's like it's almost like the 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 um, the commentary bubbles are like the voice of God, like instructing these characters to do what they you know, to do their thing. Um, one of the creepiest pictures is uh, all the fathers are getting in and getting out of their cars at the beginning and the end of the book. And they're looking up waving to like uh, just an inf- infinite amount of windows in these apartments. And all the, the moms and the babies or the moms and the kids are staring, yeah. waving back. And oh you're just God. like, how, how would you know where your apartment even is? Like, it's just like this, every single person waving up and being waved back down to it's, it's, I don't know. It's really, it's really depressing, but it's also kind of a warning too. You're like, this is what the world would be if we didn't strive to imagine about, you know, more for ourselves, more for our society. Like if we just sort of went along with these systems of that are in place that, you know, this is what we'd end up being. And again, some of those systems can be literal, like, Hey, a, you know, a thousand people go to the same draining, soul-crushing job every day. But it could also be a thousand people open their little phones and look at Facebook every day and do the you know, do the same things that they do. They're really no different than the people in this in this story, um, or they're rather this vignette. I, I hesitate to call it a story. It's more of like a, a vignette of a day in the life, and it's you know you could repeat it. What's interesting is you could end 
the book and immediately go back and reread it again as though it's day number two, day number three. You know, it's not like, it's not like, oh, and the next, you know, tomorrow they all go to a football game. It's like, no, no, this is their life day in, day out forever and ever. Now, <laughs> and, I was going we- to ask you the physical versus digital question, knowing, you know, that I suspected your answer would be physical. Is that the case? <laughs> well, it's interesting because the, I keep saying that I need to step, I need to have something else to segue there. The book itself is bigger than most graphic novels, taller. So it doesn't fit on the shelf quite as well as other oh. books. So from that pure, just that standpoint alone, I'm, a, I'm glad I have the physical version. But if you are, if you have sort of like a symmetry to your shelf space, you're, you're worried about that, maybe go get the digital. I don't know if it's actually available in digital, to be honest with you. I don't know if they've even gone that far. Uh, well, my only suggestion <laughs> when I was when you were describing how you could start it over is that would be fantastic if the digital edition actually did that. Like you hit the end of the day and then you swipe and you don't even realize that it's it's still continuing, but it's the same exact panels that you've already Man, gone through. That would be incredible. <laughs> you just have like an endless <laughs> digital experience. Just of this. cycle through and just repeats, yeah. and you think and you think that oh maybe there'll be something new and there never is. Yeah. Oh. And then you realize you've spent your life <laughs> just going through the same thing. I'm going to say, unless you have, okay, let's pretend for a minute. I, I, I really don't think it's available digitally, but let's say it was, unless you had an iPad pro, the really big one, I wouldn't do it because I, as I'm going back through part of the experience is seeing these gigantic white pages and just an infinite amount of windows an infinite amount of people. You kind of need to be enveloped by the world he's drawn for you. Yeah. The only way for it to really kind of impact you is to, is to you know, have it close on your lap and just feel like the enormity of this world and just the hopelessness that these huh. people will ever have anything else. Like this is their life until they die and then they'll plug a new person in and go on. So you kind of need to have that, that feeling. When he does break it into panels, it's for the more personal moments. So you, he breaks it into panels when they're in the apartment um, or where they're in the, the boss's office um, hmm. when he's watching, like the, they call him the controller. And there's a really interesting panel where, you know, after he comes in for work, he, he comes in the, the boss of this corporation that these, all these men go to, he comes in, you know, he doesn't have to go through the, you know, he's driven up in a limo and he doesn't have to go through all the same rigor, rigor as those guys, but his life is still just as mundane. And right. in one panel, one page, there's actually the words who controls the controller, uh, written there because he, it shows him in his little room and, you know, he's given, he's been given orders by somebody else to, you know, they come in via some kind of telefax or something and he's got to process those too. And so it's just like, yeah, his life's a little bit better. His wife and child are, you know, at a, in a mansion, he, you know, he vid, he vid chats with them, which for Ooh. 1969 was an interesting, he, he actually came up with vid chat, yeah. um, which is quite, I actually have to remind myself, this was drawn in a place or a time long, you know, far removed from the, the society we're in now, but it's just, you know, seeing that kind of play out, but he, so he will break into smaller panels for those kinds of things. And at the end of the day, but for the most part, when it's, when it's everybody, um, it, it's pretty much just full pages, full pages of, of, yeah. um, of these scenes. So yeah, I, I think the physical is definitely the way to go, but just be mindful that when you get it, it's going to be a little taller and a little bit misshapen for yourself. Well, I, that's such an interesting consideration. And, it, but it also, to me, sounds like, you've got that experience with that oversized book that I'm, I was trying to describe with terms and conditions where you actually want to just walk into the art project. Yeah. And what I've seen just from Googling this is that they did, when they released this, they did tour some of the original art mm. through museums and it, 
the you know the images I've seen from those museums are incredible looking. Like you're literally yeah. walking into the soft city and just seeing these enormous panels um, on the wall. So it's I would imagine if, if if in a museum it would be even more compelling if all the pages were life size. You know, or maybe like oh, wow. an entire wall was covered with the you know the the, the cars. Uh, driving into the parking structures. You can just feel like you feel it. And maybe it's that, yeah, if they were even bigger than what's in the book, that would be really compelling. Um, so I think the book does its best to try to give you a sense of that or a taste of that. And again, it's, it's, this guy's a painter, you know, he's an actual art, you know, like a you know, painting artist in real life. So for him to vent, to take that sensibility into a graphic novel. And at a time when, you know, the graphic novel didn't even really exist exactly. at all in the early seventies. So, it's fascinating that he had this kind of vision, this kind of critique on society and culture and didn't even know that the format he was sort of creating, you know, as the byproduct of what he was creating was, would go on to be a, a really important format for this kind of commentary. And so it's just, yeah. it's fascinating that it finally, it finally came out after all these years, it came out at a time that I think is even more appropriate than before, but this guy could have been a, you know, a grandfather, or a, you know, a spiritual founder of, of a really awesome medium you know yeah. imagine, again imagine if this had come out in the early 80s what you know would we be thinking about him in a much different way would he would the name push wagner be even more synonymous with graphic novels and, and cutting edge commentary and storytelling like who knows yeah I, it's so how did you know about this because i just true confession have never heard of this i never I, heard of it either until i i'm, I'm kind of a, a disciple of all those like you know uh, lists of the most important graphic novels you should own because i feel like as a connoisseur right. i should be i should be mindful of those things and, and to be honest most of the things on those lists have ended up being really really compelling books um uh, in my worlds, so, and I've been, I've slowly been kind of collecting a lot of them. Like Day Tripper, which I might review in another episode, is is another one of those. Day Tripper uh, has appeared numerous times, as have um, uh, you know, like A Tale of Sand, which we reviewed on a previous right. book, or um, Kate Beaton's stuff. Like, there's a lot of these things appear on these on these books. So this was this is a recent kind of edition, and I I just looked at the cover, and the cover looked really cool. It's got kind of an 80s Eurocentric vibe going on, even though the inside is nothing like that. Uh, it just it just felt really interesting and cool and was something that I'm like, oh, I'll give this a try. And everybody kept talking about it like it's it's a really important piece of commentary on you know on our world. And it is. And so I'm glad I I'm glad I grabbed it. Now, where did you get it? Is this the kind of thing that's going to be stocked in a comic shop or is it you gotta go to Amazon? I grabbed it off Amazon, but I have seen it uh in a shop or two since, but it is a very avant-garde sort of choice. So you kind of you can almost judge the the uh, character of your comic shop by whether or not they carry this book. Um, uh, is it Forbidden Planet in Portland? Oh, right. Oh, we've yeah, talked about that before. Forbidden Planet? What the heck is the name of the... And that's not what it is. It's... Oh, shoot. I'm, hang on. It's going to drive me nuts. Uh, <laughs> ask, ask me a question while I look for this, because this is... There's a publisher oh. shop in Portland. Floating World. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Floating World Comics in Portland um, definitely has this book because they basically carry every indie thing you could possibly imagine. Exactly. They themselves are an indie publisher. So you, it, it's, if you're that kind of person where, you know, like you're not going to go into like Mile High Comics and nothing against them. I love Mile High Comics, but you're not going to go in there and find this book. Like they're very much more main, a mainstream store with some, you know, some good indie stuff on the side. But this is definitely meant for a, you know, a very sort of uh, indie oriented, art oriented comic shop. Um, but if you can't find it, definitely off Amazon. 
Yeah. And I would say if you're also, if you're curious, go back and listen to the Todd and Taylor show number 24, where you talk about several Portland comic book shops. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was looking up while you were looking up something. Hey, if you live in Portland, man alive. You are, you are swimming in an abundance of riches that that town has and, and Colorado Springs too. Let, yeah. let me be fair, has you know, a, a good number of good solid comic shops and good creators. But Portland is kind of becoming the mecca of just you could go all day and just see amazing shop after amazing shop. after. And again, that that episode you referenced has uh, has a lot of that. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, where can people find this podcast? Yeah, you can find us online, uh, wherever podcasts are are distributed. I always want to say sold and that's not right. I know. Where are you yeah, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts, um, and hopefully soon Spotify. We Our new distributor, Pippa, has a really cool Spotify integration, so we'll hopefully Ooh, find wow. ourselves there too. And also, you can find us online, findusthere.org, and hopefully soon we'll be having another there'll be another website associated with this podcast. We can talk about as well, but more on that later. Yeah. And we're on Twitter and uh, Instagram and SoundCloud and everywhere else has find us there, uh, find us or their network is uh, that's sort of our, our parent umbrella of podcast. So find yeah. us there is our handle everywhere. Um, anything you'd like to plug Taylor before we say, uh, good morning, whatever. We say. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, only I've just recently updated my Twitter handle. It is now by Taylor Trask to match my Instagram. So if you are looking for me on Twitter and Instagram, it's by Taylor Trask. Awesome. I am at Hey Todd A on those places. So check us out and follow us. And we will see you next time for another episode of Coffee and Comics. Cheers. Cheers.